when I started that, what I heard from a lot of people was, oh, that's just something you need to do to keep you occupied. You know, you're a mother first, or that's just, you know, that's your side, your side hustle. Um, in, in America, that's a big, uh, that's big terminology when women, I think, start businesses. Oh, that's your side hustle. And so I believed that. I bought into that narrative that, oh, I must have just started this because um, I want to keep busy and I don't want to just spend all of my time changing diapers or, or being a mom. And it was that pre-programmed baggage that I came that I came with that I had to really um, unconvince myself. I really had to change my thinking and say, wait a second, that's not actually true. I, that, I don't believe that about myself. This is not a side hustle. I know that this is going to impact a generation. Welcome to the She Leads Business Show for female owners and leaders of small and medium-sized businesses. You are in the right place if you want a more aligned success, to make a greater impact, and to have happy, engaged, high-performing, and inflow teams that you trust to get the job done. Allowing you to ditch the stress and firefighting, to focus on your most fulfilling high-value work, and to have the financial and time freedom to live the life you truly desire and deserve. I'm your host, Una Doyle, founder of creativeflow.tv, and I'm a speaker, business strategist, and impact coach. Business owners and leaders hire me to help them to achieve impact-driven growth. Yet not every business owner is in the position to hire me, so I created this podcast, and in every episode, myself and my guests share the stories, strategies, and actionable wisdom to help you to achieve this too. Now, on with the show. Hello, 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 and welcome to She Leads Business. I'm your host, Una Doyle, and today I'm so excited to welcome Supna Doshi, and she is a multi-passionate businesswoman who has some amazing experience to share with us as well. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Una. Wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Absolutely. So um, as you said, my name is Sapna Doshi. I live in the States in Florida and I am the mom of seven-year-old triplets. I have two boys and a girl and I am a former HR professional, spent uh, quite a bit of time in corporate America in human resources and currently I am the co-founder of two companies, We Go Kids and Alinea. Wonderful. Thank you. Oh, we're going to dive into what you do in those organizations uh, a little bit later. But first off, number one, wow, triplets. I, I can't even imagine that. <laughs> I have 11 nieces and nephews and at various times in my life I have, uh, I, well, I used to babysit a lot when I was younger. <laughs> and that must be quite a handful. Um, it is definitely throwing yourself into the deep end of the pool and uh, learning a lot about not only parenting, but life uh, in the process. But they have been incredible teachers for me. And uh, although I am still uh, sleep deprived, other than that, all things are wonderful. You're still sleep deprived at seven years? I think that when you have triplets, um, going back to any type of normal sleep routine it takes a long time. <laughs> 
gosh. Okay. <laughs> Have you heard about chronotypes? Okay, look up a book. Um, I'll list it in the show notes. And it's all about the different biological types in terms of our sleep and when we're best doing different things at different times of the day. So some people, you know, the way people talk about being an early bird or, you know, being a night owl, but it, it has four types and it goes into more depth about when's the best time to hold meetings? When's the best time to do your email? When's the best time to have a rest? All those kinds of things. And it, that might be really helpful for you. <laughs> I love that. I'll definitely check it out. I can always use any help uh, in the sleep area I can get. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, I am going to make it the book for the Business Impact Book Club at some point. So yeah, that's for sure. So tell me a bit about your time in corporate America. You said you'd 20 years experience there in operations and then in HR. So what was what was your first job? How did you get started? Well, I am the daughter of immigrants and uh, my parents were hotel owners. And so I was uh, raised in, in a hotel and uh, not ironically, my first job in uh, my first official job outside of, of that was in a hotel. <laughs> well, you have so the I grew up over the, yes, I had the experience, was able to hit the ground running, uh, but I worked for uh, great hotel chains like Hilton and Marriott and worked my way up from um, from the ground level. And then once I got into HR, I was able to go into a few different industries. Interesting. So what was your worst job in that time? Oh, that's a great question. Because um, I'm just such a positive person. I try to block out anything that I didn't enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> but I will tell you, um, my first my first official job, um, the reason that it was the worst was because the manager that I was working for um, was actually caught, was stealing, and I caught him. Um, he was renting out hotel rooms for cash and then pocketing the cash. And um, having grown up in the hotel industry, um, it was easy for me to discover and to find, but then I had to go and report it and uh, and that was not challenging for me but then he found out it was me and um, he was not happy and so that was my first my first job out was where I had to do that but it was a really good it was a really good lesson about making sure that I knew where my ethics and morals were no matter who I worked for absolutely gosh I can't even imagine being faced with that as I presume quite a young age yes yeah very young it was 24 well well done for reporting him I'm sure the company was delighted I mean not delighted that he had been doing it but delighted that it would now be stopped yes they were grateful that I that I was able to speak up fabulous and what was your best job like My best job was actually in HR. Once I transitioned out of the hotel industry, which um, you know was a twenty four seven, no matter where, no matter which 
no matter which role you played in the hotel, it's a 24 seven operation. And so you can be called at all hours of the night. And I was because uh, predominantly I handled operations. So my favorite job was when I moved into HR and was able to work for Aveda, which is an international beauty company. Um, they sell uh, hair products and uh, some some makeup and some beauty products, but they're predominantly known for hair. And I got to go in as their HR director. And that was definitely my, my most favorite role. What did you love about it? I loved, um, I actually loved the industry. I uh, grew up on Aveda. Having been an only child, I was a little bit spoiled when it came to taking care of myself. And so an Aveda salon was one of my, um, special treats from the age of 16 where my mom would would take me to an Aveda salon to get my hair cut. So when I finally got to work for the company that I really did love, um, that was really nice. I also got to work for two brothers who owned um, the territory where this company was. And that was a really, um, it was probably the best learning experience that I had. They had two very opposite management styles, um, personality styles. In fact, sometimes I couldn't even believe they were brothers, but um, it was really a huge learning opportunity to be able to really work effectively um, with all of those different types of personalities. Interesting. So what were the different management styles? Uh, one led from the heart and one did not. <laughs> uh, okay. That's it in a nutshell. Yeah, it was definitely a, the one brother who led from the heart was always very um, people focused. What, uh, how can I better my employees' lives? Uh, what's in it for them? Everything that we did, the question was always, how is this going to be benefit the people that work for us? Um, the other brother was, what's in it for me? Um, how are we going to make more money? And, uh, and, uh, and, and that perspective and, and not that one is bad or good or, or any of that, but just really kind of seeing how those played out in decision-making and impacting the culture of the company was very educational for me. So in what way did you see it impact the culture? Uh, there was definitely, so they did run two separate parts of the business. Um, so you could see within one company how there were two uh, almost conflicting cultures um, that were being nurtured within one company. And so um, on the sales side of it, you had very... Um, numbers driven focused talent and on the creative side of it um, you had really uh, a really a culture of of human growth and really a culture of nurturing um, the students that came into the schools and the clients that came into the schools and and, and so it was interesting to get those two employee bases into one meeting 
And whenever you rolled out anything in HR, you really had to present it in a way where the, the ones who are used to thinking what's in it for me, that they get that. And the ones who are not used to thinking that way also get the information they need so that it resonates with both groups. Very interesting. I mean, in so many businesses, there are silos and politics and conflicts going on. Yet, even in the best run, and I'm not saying they was badly run at all, <laughs> but um, even where you've got the leadership team totally aligned, there will still be different personality types coming into play in terms of communication, in terms of implementing and rolling out change, right? Absolutely. I mean, I think my number one job uh, in that role was translator. I would take what one brother said and then go and translate it for the other brother because they were often saying the same things, but because they were saying it in their own ways that resonated for them, they never really hurt each other. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to imagine that. Uh, I guess that must have been a bit frustrating at times, though. Um, I mean, I, re you know, I really, I said I'm, I'm a pretty positive person. I, I really looked at it as a learning for me. It was a challenge. Um, when I would have one brother come in to complain about the other one, then I, you know, it was my job to say, no, that's not really what he said. That's not what he meant. Here's what he meant. Here's what he said. Uh, you just didn't quite hear it that way. So think of it this way. And so I always looked at it as the challenge is how can I really bridge the gap between these two um, to help facilitate a more cohesive <laughs> culture within the company? Well, it sounds like you did a great job of communications there and actually helping to gel things together, which of course, from a HR perspective is what you really want to be doing. What was the, the most shocking thing that you saw or experienced during your time in corporate America? Um, I think I was really, you know, I, I went to school and uh, my, my degree is in business, my MBA, uh, I have a, a master's in business. And so when I went into corporate America, it almost, um, validated everything that I had been taught in school. And yet what I found was that they weren't really cultures or environment that I thrived in. That it wasn't, um, not that I didn't like my jobs. I did really love my jobs because of the people connection, but I didn't bolt out of bed every day, you know, cheerleading my way to work. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think that was probably um, the thing about cor corporate America that kind of stuck with me the most was, okay, I was taught this is how you're supposed to do it. I've now seen that in action, but I still really don't know that that's actually the way it should be done. So for you, it was about the way that the companies were being run. Is that what you mean? that it seemed to be almost a tug of war between customers and employees. It seemed to be a either, you know, the customer is always right. Um, they are the ones that impact the bottom line um, and it has to be one or the other. And I had never worked in an, in an environment where no, we can have it all. We can have 
um, really happy clients and customers and really big bottom lines and, and really happy employees who love their jobs. Well, I am all for that. <laughs> that's that's totally my vision. People being excited to come to work and leaving feeling good about themselves and, you know, being in flow and doing work that they're naturally good at. Um, actually, talking about flow, um, you know, that feeling when you're in the zone, when even though you're challenged, you know that you can achieve your objectives when you lose all sense of time and anything else going on around you because you're just so in flow and, and engrossed in what you're doing. So if you were to think about your flow score now on a scale of zero to 10, where 10 is couldn't be any better, what would your number be? Have you ever heard of the Pareto Principle, or as it's sometimes known, the 80-20 rule? This rule states that you typically get 80% of your results from 20% of your effort, which, if you think about it, means that 80% of your efforts are typically only getting you 20% of your results. Frustrating, right? Especially if you're not sure which falls into the 80% and which falls into the 20%. Now, I see this time and time again with business owners who spend a lot of time and energy doing things that don't really move their business forward, but they keep them very busy and feeling like they're being productive. That's why I created a free training video for you called the five step proven profit formula for doubling your profits. And in this video, you'll learn the only five steps that you need to focus on in your business. Now, you might already, in fact, you probably are doing activity in, in one or two of these five areas. And when you watch this video, if you think about it, that's probably where your best results are coming from. Now, imagine what would happen if you were to focus some efforts on the other areas too and ditch the things that aren't actually making a difference in your business. Now, these five steps are what enable me to be able to unlock an additional 50K or more in hidden revenues in only 50 minutes without any extra spend on marketing or ads. To watch the video, simply go to creatorflow.tv forward slash five steps. That's five, the number, steps. <laughs> so let me give you that again. It's creatorflow.tv forward slash five steps with the number five. Let me know what you think of the video. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Right now I'm at a 25. <laughs> Good to hear. Good to hear. And so when you were in the corporate world, what would you say that average would have been? Yeah, I think there it was definitely probably a six, maybe a seven on some really great days. Mm. Okay, cool. Meetings. I bet you had a lot of meetings during your time in corporate world. How did, did they yes. differ from the meetings that you have nowadays? Again, kind of that dichotomy between this is the way I was taught meetings are supposed to, you know, happen and, and communication within a corporation is supposed to happen. And then I saw it in action and then 
um, meetings. Oh my gosh, we need a cultural revolution when it comes to meetings in corporate America. Um, It was just, it's like when you tell somebody they have to go to a dentist. (laughs) You have to go, there's no, there's no upside to it. (laughs) So um, yeah, meetings in corporate America were never fun. They were definitely a, um, a, an evil necessity. Um, and that was just the culture that I experienced. And that was across the board, no matter what company I worked for, no matter who the employees were, I never went to a great meeting. I always say that meetings are a litmus test of how effective the leadership is in a company. Because when you have, if you don't have good productive drama in a meeting, then generally speaking, good work isn't getting done inside the meeting. The only good work happens outside the meetings, which means there's typically politics, silos, people in meetings that don't need to be there, people getting copied into emails that don't need to be getting copied into emails. <laughs> and, and actually a real lack of accountability. What's your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, we would, uh, some of the meetings, you know, would have a meeting agenda. Some um, would leave, you know, everybody would take their notes of what they needed to do. And then, and then more often than not, nothing would get done. You were chasing follow-ups and, and things like that. And that is definitely the one thing um, that I learned not to do was have meetings like that. They just, they weren't effective. Um, And I think you're absolutely right when you say it's indicative of the leadership. If, um, if you, if it's not motivating, if it's not exciting, if it's not um, a drive to, to actually accomplish something, then what's the point? I know certainly in my own time in the corporate world, I often thought that about meetings. Why am I here? I could have got this information in an email. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I want to share a statistic with you. In some research done in the UK, only 13% of women owned businesses reach one to 50 million pounds yet 29% of male owned ones do. What's your thoughts when you hear that? Sadly, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think just having been on my own journey of starting my companies and seeing the, the, the baggage that I come to this role with and really working to shed all of that. Um, it doesn't surprise me. Um, it's unfortunate. And, uh, I think that that there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of learning, uh, that can happen over and that is happening now, um, to really change that statistic. So in terms of your own business, what's, What's your, let's, in fact, let's just talk a little bit now about your business 
and I'd love to know more about your goals, including financial goals, so that we can get an understanding of what's the scale that you are viewing your 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 companies as. Yes. So when I started um, into my first uh, journey into entrepreneurship, the triplets were three years old. Um, and I started the company We Go Kids, which is um, a company that was designed to nurture the emotional intelligence children are born with. And it's to inspire parents um, on how to do that. That I spent the first three years of my, my life, uh, of um, the children's life, really learning what parenting is supposed to be. Um, and then, you know, observing how it was actually being done around me and what what really the differences were and how um, we could really impact a generation and fairly quickly by just shifting some of the, the mindsets um, of new parents. So when I started that, what I heard from a lot of people was, um, oh, that's just something you need to do to keep you occupied. Um, you know, you're a mother first, or that's just, you know, that's your side, your side hustle. Um, in, in America, that's a big, uh, that's big terminology when women, I think, start businesses. Oh, that's your side hustle. Um, and so I believed that. I bought into that narrative that, oh, I must have just started this because um, I want to keep busy and I don't want to just spend all of my time changing diapers or, or being a mom. And it was that pre-programmed baggage that I came that I came with that I had to really um, unconvince myself. I really had to change my thinking and say, wait a second, that's not actually true. I, that, I don't believe that about myself. This is not a side hustle. I know that this is going to impact a generation. And so if I'm going to do it and do it well, then I need to really shift my thinking. Um, and so that, that was huge for me. Um, subsequent to that, uh, we go kids, which is still alive and well, and uh, is an e-commerce business. We sell a clothing line for children, and then we sell um, video and audio content in the form of digital downloads for parents. And then three years after that, I had done so much video and audio production. Um, I met Adam, who is a Marine Corps veteran. And although I had no ties to the military, I started talking to him and, uh, and learning a lot about, about the challenges that the, that the, veter that the veteran communities, their, their families and, and the military communities are having. Just to take a quick step back. The fundamental reason that I actually started We Go Kids is because as a new mom, as I was learning about parenting, I learned that the suicide rates of children ages 10 to 14 had tripled in the last decade. And wow. as a mother, I couldn't understand why that was happening. Have you come to any conclusions as to why that is the case? Yeah, I, I think from my own personal experience, from my observations for, from my, um, which I didn't mention, but most of my corporate uh, HR work was in emotional intelligence, really 
teaching children how to deal with their emotions, how to process their emotions, how to label their emotions, how to put words to the way that they feel, none of that is being taught. Not, um, not in school. Um, as parents, we don't even know the words. That's why I feel like postpartum is such, such a big thing, is we just don't have, are not taught. We are not taught the vocabulary to use to describe the emotions that we're feeling. And then there is a stigma around talking about the way that you feel. If you're depressed or anxious or have suicidal thoughts, there is a stigma around talking about those things. And I started We Go Kids fundamentally in order to, to tell parents, you have to start this from the day the child is born in order for your child not to fit into that suicide rate at the age of 10 to 14. And so that was kind of the fundamental reason why I started it. And a lot of the emotional intelligence programming that we do is, is based around that. It's based around mindfulness. It's based around deep breathing, processing your emotions, labeling them, being able to communicate those with your parents without being judged. Um, and then also to be able to listen to how other people feel without judging them. So that was, that was the fundamental reason why I started We Go Kids. And three years later, when I met Adam and he started talking about veterans and their challenges, the veteran suicide rate in the U.S. is 22 a day. That's almost one veteran an hour. Way too many. And so what I, as we had conversations, what I understand, what, what I understood was he was talking about an emotional intelligence approach to then transition out of the military. That when people go into the military to serve, they are stripped of their identity and given a purpose. And everybody in that unit is working towards that same purpose. They have goals, they have their purpose, they have their family and their unit. And then when they transition out of the military, they're not deprogrammed. They're not given any tools. All, they're done, all that's done is they are taken out of that environment. The purpose is really taken away from them and they still don't have really an identity that's tied to anything. And that combined with any um, visible or invisible scars or trauma that they experienced during their service is just you know adding fire to the to the adding flame adding what's the saying adding gas to the fire and so it was that understanding that the suicide rates of veterans are 22 a day the suicide rates of our children the like this is a pattern this is not something that's affecting one community it is affecting every community around the world and so that was how alinea was born Olinia is a, a um, storytelling company. We do video and audio production, digital marketing, um, but its primary purpose is to reverse the trends of anxiety, depression, and suicide in every community across the, across the world. Wonderful. And now you have that sense of meaning and purpose that perhaps was lacking for you in the corporate world. And now I can bolt out of bed every morning of every day cheerleading my way to work because I believe in my heart that every single thing that I do has an impact on that number.
that somebody somewhere is going to read something that we've written, see something that we've produced, and is going to connect with it in a way that they're going to reach out for help or they're going to stop doing what they were going to do and at least think twice about it. Well, that motivation is, it's so powerful. It's energizing, isn't it? It is, it is. And that really is the power of purpose. I think so many, um, I think the burnout rate is so high um, among entrepreneurs and maybe even especially uh, among women is because we don't right out of the gate tie into a purpose that is going to carry us through. My core belief is that a business has to be about purpose first and all of the things, other things will fall in line afterwards. Um, that if you can't really tie into and ground into that purpose, that's where you're gonna, that's where it's going to get rough. We need to focus on the impact that happens as a result of the work that we do. And whether you're an employee or a business owner, I think the same thing applies. And I think impact and meaning isn't discussed enough in business. So it's really great to hear, you know, your story of that and the, the mindset shifts that you needed to make in order to be able to create like, so we go kids, that's a um, quarter of a million dollars revenues. Did you say? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I was curious, you told me a little bit uh, when we spoke previously about your money mindset in how you'd like on the one hand, you were managing big budgets in business. But tell us about the contrast with your personal life. Yeah, that was the I think the money piece is it was the biggest challenge for me um, and the biggest mindset that I had to shift. I as we discussed, I managed multi, multi-million dollar budgets for large full service hotel operation companies and beauty companies and um, insurance companies. And yet me personally, as an Indian, as an Asian American woman, I went from a bank account with my dad to a bank account with my husband. I never deposited a paycheck. I just signed it over. And I could do all of that for the company that I worked for and I could do none of it for myself. And that was the absolute biggest, that has been the biggest learning curve for me in starting my own business, my own businesses, was really being able to shift my mindset um, from that idea that, well, this is what somebody else is supposed to do for me. Somebody else is responsible for how much money I make and how much money I spend. No, it's me. And I have to figure out how to be able to do that. And for me, the biggest shift um, that resonated for me was to be able to shift my thinking from money to energy. When I was able to look at money and income and expenses as energy and not as a dollar amount as impact and not as a dollar amount it totally shifted it totally shifted the way that i do business and i think that is so key because we have to be able to translate our money goals into impact goals 
because without that the money in itself is often meaningless yet actually when we shift from one level of income to another from one level of revenues in our business to another then number one we have had more of a journey in shifting up those levels so it's like to me i feel it's a measure of personal growth it's not the only way of personal growth obviously <laughs> but it's one measure of personal growth because our businesses are never going to grow any bigger than we our mindsets allow them to to be the second part of that is when we serve more people then our revenues increase so if we don't increase our revenues we typically aren't serving more people and that's why we start a business it's why we want to grow a business is because it actually makes a bigger impact and those things are so closely intertwined when they are taught in that way yet most people do not think of it in that way and um, i'm curious actually what what was the stimulus for you to have this epiphany about realizing hang on a minute i don't know how to do this what prompted it um when somebody when uh somebody asked me once we launched alinea somebody asked me if we could do the service and I said, yes. And they said, how much will that cost? And I froze. I, I, it was a combination of fear and my, my mind was racing. And it was like, well, if I give them a number that's too low, it's not, it's not, you know, I'm going to miss out on something. If I give them a number that's too high, they're going to say no. And then I'm not going to get the work. And then, you know, I literally just had to take, take a deep breath and um, I just turned it back to them, which I hate when people do this to me, but it's been a lesson. I turned it back and I said, well, what's your budget? And they gave me a number. That was a good question to ask. Yes. And they gave me a number and I said, we can work with that. And that was it. But it was um, after that experience i knew that i really had to um self-reflect and sit with myself and figure out how to get rid of the fear associated with with making money losing money um all of the fear that i had around money which i didn't even realize i had um and to find a way for me to shift my mindset and the way that resonated for me is that it was an exchange of energy that the energy that i put out and the work that i do the way that the person has the only way that person has to exchange energy back with me is in this form and that's okay with me because i believe that every positive um, project has to be an exchange of energy everybody has to be working together and exchanging that energy in order for it to grow into what it's supposed to be. And if that person, uh, for lack of saying it in a better way, if, if all that person has is money to give in terms of energy, well, then that's what, then I have to be open to accepting that. Absolutely. For uh, another way of saying that is about an exchange of value. So when somebody values what you have to offer and then they will give money for that. And um, yeah, I, I think just the thinking of it as an exchange yes. is just so powerful. 
Um, and one other thing that I learned in that in that process was not only with myself, but also the the vendors that I worked with, we all were undervaluing ourselves. What I thought my value was that I was bringing to my clients was far greater than the dollar amount that I put on it. And so for the first few clients and what I ended up doing with my companies is the exact opposite of everything that I was taught in business school and the opposite of everything that I learned in corporate America. I did the exact opposite. And so when I first started working with clients um, who wanted to do like a monthly digital marketing and I didn't know what to charge for it or anything, I would say to them, and they were veteran nonprofits, so it was very purpose um, and mission aligned with what I do. I said to them, send me a check every month, the same day of the month, the same amount for a year. That's our agreement. It doesn't matter to me what the number on the check is. This is what I'm gonna do for you. And what I found was that clients far valued my work at anything more than I, than I would have asked for. Interesting. And do you still operate that model? I do. Love it. Love it. I have heard of a restaurant. In fact, I've heard of a few stories of restaurants doing that, where they don't have any prices on the menus. You eat the food, you order the food, you eat the food, and you leave how much money you think it was worth. And they were making, I think, about like 20 to 30 percent more than they had been previously when they had prices. on. The I love that. I have goosebumps everywhere. I think it's brilliant because it, it's an exchange of energy. That's what it is. People cook because they love to cook. I do what I do because I love to do it. Whatever value you put on that is great. I am more than grateful to do the work that I do. The fact that you value it is a bonus for me. It, it's interesting that um, to me, one of the, because I've worked with a lot of business owners on helping them to raise their prices, on helping them to value themselves and their work more. And one of the things that often comes up is, but it's so easy for me. And it's really common for people, and I think particularly women as well, to believe that because something is easy, that it's less valuable. And what I share with them is that, well, if it's easy for you, it's because you're actually really good at it. It's because this is part of your natural strengths. This is what has you in flow. So if you are hiring, um, if you are hiring, so someone to do, I don't know, branding or to paint a picture or whatever it might be would you want to hire somebody who's really good at it and who loves to do it and is really in flow while doing it or would you prefer to hire somebody who it took longer it was a lot harder work for them that they felt out of flow and of course they always say well yeah the person who it's in flow for <laughs> and they typically will do it better and faster as yeah. well so it's, it is in itself more valuable, the more easy that it is. Yeah. Absolutely. So, <laughs> and one of the, the um, one of the books that I about that um, really was one of the pivotal um, transitions in my life is an author, Michael Singer. He wrote uh, two books. One is called The Untethered Soul, 
um, that was really the one that helped me out of postpartum depression. Um, but the other book that he wrote is called The Surrender Experiment. And it's his life's journey of surrendering to the universe and really tapping into his own gifts and being able to be as in flow as possible so as to really nurture that. And Michael Singer went from being a yogi who lived in the woods outside of a small town in Florida to the CEO of WebMD, which is the multi-billion dollar uh, website company. Um, and he still lives in the woods outside a small town in Florida. Let me ask you something. If I was to ask you to give me 10 pounds or dollars or euros, whatever your particular currency is, and I guaranteed to give you a hundred back and then followed through and did so, would you want to do it again? Of course you would. <laughs> That's a 10 times return on your investment. Well, today I want to share with you a resource that is very similar. Okay, now this resource is not for everyone. For instance, it's not designed for startups, okay, who, people who are only just starting out. It's really only beneficial for a more established business who are typically turning over at least late five figures through six figures up to the early seven figures. Plus, the business owners need to want to increase their profits and how much they are personally taking home. They need to be open-minded about learning new principles and strategies and be prepared to implement what they discover. Well, what is it that I'm talking about? It's a session where I'll help you to unlock at least 50k of extra hidden revenues in only 50 minutes without spending a penny more on marketing or advertising. And that's guaranteed. Now, please understand that this is not a discovery call in disguise. It's more than a session, in fact. It's a fully-fledged, standalone little mini program that combines some training, strategies and coaching. You might be sceptical and wonder, how can I possibly do that? Well, it's a combination, combination of things. So before the session, you'll do a 50-minute video training that explains why most small business marketing doesn't work as well as you'd like and what to do instead. Now, I've even had experienced marketers scratching their heads saying, wow, I'm not doing this myself <laughs> when they've watched that video. Okay, second thing, in the session itself, I use our proprietary business assessment software, which has millions of algorithms that help us to evaluate different strategies to see which ones would be most profitable for you. And thirdly, you'll also do a personality profile test that helps me to guide you to the particular strategies that are most suited to you or perhaps the person who would be implementing these strategies. And of course, I've been coaching and consulting in one form or another since 2003. So of course, my experience comes into play here too. Now, even though I'm guaranteeing the session and if I don't find you the guaranteed amount, you won't pay a penny, I'm not even asking for the whole amount up front. You just pay a small deposit and then only pay the rest once I've shown you the money. Want to know more? Head over to the webpage now at creatorflow.tv50k. So that's the number 50, number K. Or click the link in the description. Let me give that to you again. It's creatorflow.tv forward slash 50k. It 
it's interesting, isn't it? I think sometimes people have these beliefs about what wealthy people are like. In fact, I had a conversation with a new client just this week who was saying, oh, um, oh, well, when I work with wealthy people, they're always a pain and they're really demanding and they're bad payers. And I was like, oh, interesting, because some of the most kindest, generous people I know are actually the wealthiest people I know. So maybe it's not a fact that's just been your experience but maybe that's your experience because that's how you've been taught to view wealthy people yes yes yeah yes and it's interesting how many entrepreneurs i've had that conversation with where um they were raised to demonize money they were raised to think that money is not good that they were raised to and so you know, I look at them and say, well, naturally, then you're going to have a tough time making money until you deal with the baggage that you came with. Deal with that. And then you'll you'll get closer to flow and it will all it will all work itself out. Absolutely. I was one of those people. I grew up hearing we can't afford this. We can't afford that. Money doesn't grow on trees, which is not true. What is paper made of? Yes. Paper is made of wood. <laughs> wood comes from trees therefore money does grow on trees yes. <laughs> I so wish I had known that when I was younger and I could have answered my mum back <laughs> so what are your goals with we go kids and you know your second business so where do you see yourself in three to five years time? And to go back to kind of that question that you asked me about um, my financial goals and budgeting was something that they taught me uh, in, in business school and everything. Um, I really just focus on how many lives am I going to impact? How am I going to impact the suicide rate in children ages 10 to 14? How am I going to impact the suicide rate in the veteran population? And really my goals are tied to those suicide numbers. And have you made those specific? I have. I've done in um, terms of I've done like an eighteen month and a three year uh, number goal of where I want the suicide rates to be, and um, with the idea that the work that I do helps to chip at that number, along with all of the other people that I collaborate with and projects that I support. Good specificity is key and here's the thing i get the feeling you're quite a creative person yeah yeah <laughs> big grin yes absolutely and i think it's it's often challenging for those of us who are more creative to translate our big picture visions into concrete specifics but if we don't then it's much harder for other people to get on board with our ideas and also to actually be able to identify and focus on the activities and projects and ideas that are going to help make them a reality. Yes, no, I to that totally resonates for me. I find that um, when we're not really dialed into purpose and kind of those concrete steps to achieve that purpose, 
we do spend our time um, and energy on projects, they may not have the impact that we're looking for. And so it's very easy for me to say, you know, respectfully, no thank you to the lawyer who wants to make a, a sales video for his website because I'm going to, this is my goal. This is my purpose. This is where I'm spending my energy. And so if you'd like to do a video on, on suicide, I'm, I'm your girl. I'm the one, we're going to get it done for you. And so really, really focusing our energies on, on that work has been not only transformational for me, but I think for my team as well. You know, um, in production, we work with a lot of subcontractors. And when we were talking about team dynamics and culture beforehand, I think um, really that what's in it for me mentality, when you're driven by purpose, it, it it totally gets left at the door and it's a much easier um, place to assimilate. It's a much faster way to get um, a team working together as people that don't know each other when they're clear on what the purpose is and that the purpose is something bigger than themselves. Talk to me about the team dynamics that you now experience then. Well, um, you know, going back to team meetings, the way we start our team meetings is with purpose. Why are we here? This is our purpose. This is the project that we're working on here is why we're working on that. We go through um, everybody, you know, adds in their piece of what, what they need to get out. They ask questions. We do mostly question asking. Um, everybody gets what they need in order to be able to accomplish the goal and achieve that purpose. And then we end our meetings with gratitude. So we each take um, five minutes to go around and talk about what we're grateful for from that specific meeting, what somebody brought to it, um, or just maybe a shift somebody had. And we really, we end all of our meetings on gratitude. Um, and we actually start all of our productions with gratitude on set. And that is, is an energy shift like I've never experienced before. That just like that, it puts everybody in the same place. I love that because you cannot be in gratitude and in fear at the same time. No. And fear is what causes most of the negative dynamics in the workplace. Yes, completely. Absolutely. I start my meetings with vision as well. And it's wonderful to see the smile on faces the moment that we say that, you know, because for, for me in, in my business, it's changing the world of work so we can change the world. And that encapsulates everything that we've talked about and we've kind of got it down to the shorthand now. And it's not a marketing slogan. It's for us. It's internally for me and my team members. And so when we touch on that, it's boom, it's the smiles. Yes, that's why we're here. This is why we're doing everything. But now I'm gonna to add to our agenda gratitude. <laughs> so thank you for that. Absolutely brilliant. So Subna, where can people reach you? Uh, yes, so I am. All over social media, uh, Sapna Doshi on pretty much every trap platform. Uh, we go kids and Alinea are also there, and maybe we can put the links in the show notes. Yes, absolutely. We will put the links in the show notes. 
thank you so much for being with us here today. I've really enjoyed hearing more about your story. And I think we've got some great resources that we both shared that we can put in the show notes. And um, I know I've enjoyed it. I'm sure everyone else has. Thank you very much. Oh, actually, just before you go, if you were to sum up what you have learned about business into one, not sum up, but pull out, what do you think is the most significant part of your current level of success? What would that golden nugget be? Purpose driven. That's it. I only do things because they feed this purpose. And you know that because of how it feels, right? Yes. So if you're listening to this and you're not feeling that sense of purpose, then go and have some different conversations in your organization or in your business. Because I, I totally agree the the difference between those roles where actually you can be really competent and perhaps even very good at them. And when you're impact focused or purpose focused, it's night and day, isn't it? It is. And it's totally achievable in any kind of work environment, you know, from the grocery store clerk to the CEO of a company. It is our responsibility to find our purpose within the role that we serve every day. For sure. And perhaps you've heard the story of the janitor at NASA who was asked, so what's your job? And he said, I'm helping to get men on the mankind on the moon. Yes. So we can, we can all understand, I think with more communication and discussion of these topics, every worker can understand the contribution that they're making to the purpose of that organization, but it, it can't be done. I think, I think this is the thing I, I know I keep saying this, but it can't be done in a way where you're just giving lip service to it. There have to be real genuine conversations. Yes, no, it has to be. I mean, it has, it has to come from your, your, from your core, from every cell in your body. It has to, um, and it, and it's, and it can totally happen. It can totally happen. And if it isn't happening where you are, you can make it happen. There you go. We all have the power to shift where we are. Exactly. Money doesn't grow. Money does grow on trees, but we are not trees. We can move. (laughs) Absolutely. Fabulous. Thank you so much for your time here today. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I look forward to speaking with you again sometime. Thanks so much. Thank you. I had a really great time. And that's all for today, folks. Make sure that you subscribe to get more of this juicy goodness for your business and check the description for links mentioned in this episode. Enjoyed this free broadcast? I want you to know that I go so much deeper into the topics discussed so you too can grow a fun to run, highly profitable business that increases your impact and your creative flow. If you'd like to know more about that, let's arrange to hop on a call. You can set that up at creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una. That's creativeflow.tv forward slash call with Una.